0: Good. Morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are in the world. Thank you for joining me for this week's edition of the SMIE Consulting Midweek Roundup. I'm your host, Marty Bennett, and this week on the Roundup, we're going to be covering three questions we've been hearing from international educators over the last seven days, and we'll be answering those in a way to provide you some insight that might assist you in what you do on your job uh, on campus uh, in international education. So, as always, uh, we come to you live uh, from the home office. Office. Not always, but we are coming to you from the, live from the Home Office this week to cover these three topics like we do each week. Uh, we look at um, news stories that pop up in our feeds over the week uh, and cover the topics uh, that we do in a method that uh, answers co- kind of themes we see developing from uh, these topics that we, we talk about in the news each week. And for those unfamiliar with SMIE Consulting, uh, I started this uh, company eight years ago, nine years ago now after I left Education USA, to help better serve the higher ed community and international education service providers. And as a result of that, uh, one of the things I've, I did, started about four years ago now, five years ago now, is uh, w- what we call the uh, newsletter called the, All the SMIE News Fit to Share. And that newsletter uh, was an attempt to provide our hot takes on some of the top issues of the day that appeared in in news feeds over the previous week, on social media stories, on international education stories, and often where those two overlap. And what we do each week here on the Roundup is we look at those news stories that we had on Monday. When you can, uh, we have a newsletter version that comes out, either an email version or a LinkedIn version. I'll be dropping the links to those in the chat, as well as ways that you can sign up for them. And uh, we have, uh, this week's most recent newsletter had some interesting uh, social media stories, also a combination of some uh, US and uh, international-centered international ed stories, so that provides some uh, context. And that's one of the things we always talk about with uh, SMIE Consulting and on the roundups quite often is uh, what we call having uh, a global perspective on uh, what is happening in the wider world of international education in other countries and how we can be learning from other countries' successes and failures in, in a lot of ways and things to avoid in what we do in our in our jobs uh, day-to-day working with international educators and students on campus. So our first topic of the day uh, is uh, coming to you as a, on the backs of last week's topic where we talked about Uh, How do you connect with international students online? It was talking about the importance of living where your audience lives, uh, having a presence where your prospective students and their parents uh, spend their time, and it's going to be online, it's going to be on mobile devices primarily. And So how do you reach them? So that was kind of the theme of one of the last week's questions. This week, uh, the topic of specifically how do you reach Indian and Chinese students online is uh, evidenced by an uh, upcoming webinar uh, that topic tackles this topic in particular uh, from our friends at Sunorbis. And that asks uh, how and will cover in depth the differences between the two uh, two, two social media milieus uh, in India and China. They are dramatically different. Uh, India doesn't play well with any of China's social media, and like, things like TikTok and many Chinese apps aren't even allowed to operate in India. And in China, they have their own social uh, social media environments, uh, and have had for many years now, uh, dominated by, by a very different set of social media platforms that are available in most of the rest of the world, and ours typically aren't available in China, so they use their own primarily. So uh, we know that but that's kind of the nature of the beast. And India has uh, this uh, the Orbis webinar that's coming up uh, tackles India as one of the most important uh, platforms to have a presence on is WhatsApp. And WhatsApp, as um, as those of you know, is a as a messaging applications, so very much one-to-one or one-to-small groups, uh, that you can have those kind of ongoing conversations. So not a, all the bells and whistles of a, a Facebook, a YouTube, a TikTok, those type of things. But uh, WhatsApp has recently introduced, and we talked about that last week in the Roundup and on in our newsletter, uh, that they do now have uh, the ability to send up to 60 seconds of recorded video messages via WhatsApp. So a way to extend the the reach of of, uh, how you can get in front of students. Uh, I'll be going to India this Friday for a 10-day trip uh, where we'll be doing uh, a number of fairs uh, with our agent partners uh, that uh, I'm planning to have QR codes where students can sign up. They'll drop in their phone numbers as part of that RFI that they're going to be filling out online. And I'll be able to capture those RFIs those phone numbers and drop them into a whatsapp group that I'll create for students that have attended that fair. And it will allow me to have more direct communications with those students that have attended that event. I can talk to them say, hey thanks for coming to the IDP event in Delhi. Uh, really great to have met you. I hope you found the information you found about our institution uh, useful uh, and talking about our who we are at UNLV and all the things that they can benefit from if they decide to apply. So I'll do that. As a result of uh, this new feature through WhatsApp, I can record a short video and I can send it to all of them. Uh, and uh, give them a sense of uh, recognizing them as important. I see that I'm making that personal connection and then using that as a kickoff point to continue a conversation more broadly with them about different deadlines coming up, uh, different uh, things I want to make them aware of uh, about the application process, different deadlines, all those kind of things. That can be part of what I'm engaging with them more on. In the in the coming weeks rather than just dumping them into a comm flow and having them just get the standard messages that everyone gets so I uh, want to personalize as much as you can in these early days in that recruitment process which I think can make a very significant difference whatsapp's going to allow me to do that uh, the other side of the coin with uh, Chinese students uh, for example uh, WeChat is we know is is the kind of the be-all and end all of applications it's kind of the uh, everything that Facebook, PayPal, uh, TikTok, uh, Twitter, uh, Threads, uh, Instagram does. Uh, you can uh, uh, you pay for things uh, through, using WeChat in China through WeChat Pay. Everything is done through this app. It's like a monster a behemoth app. Everybody has it. Uh, and that's something that if you're trying to reach uh, the lion's share of the Chinese population online and particularly students They're going to be on this and, uh, and their parents are also going to be on this So having a verified WeChat account uh, f- not just for you personally because you don't you're not verified in China You'll, You have to be to you, you can be on WeChat as a Westerner, but you, you won't be verified um, in China uh, it, But if you use certain services like a Sonorbis, you could get a, we- a verified WeChat account and that allows you to have the kind of uh, visibility in search results uh, when students are looking for ways to connect with institutions, uh, they will see you um, more, uh, more, you'll show up more, more high, higher in the search results than uh, just if, uh, if you were relying on a standard WeChat account that says UNLV in it. You can have one that's verified and that's an important piece of reaching that audience. So this webinar coming up we'll talk about that. And Teresa, uh, thanks for uh, jumping on the chat. Uh, hope you're well. Uh, do I bring students to Ghana? Uh, not yet. Uh, my job is primarily on the inbound, bringing students to uh, UNLV, uh, and helping institutions do that through the, my consulting business in the past, but my main focus now is with uh, with UNLV and helping them grow their international student presence from around the world. And helping to develop partnerships, uh, that's the other part of my job, uh, helping to develop partnerships with institutions around the world that can help bring them in. So. Uh, but happy to have a conversation offline about uh, about that. Uh, but in terms of this topic on how do you reach Indian and Chinese students online, uh, you have to know where they spend their time, and that's kind of one of those principles we talk about all the time. In, in, with. Uh, with the six Ps of uh, knowing your audience, knowing where they spend their time, uh, uh, what platforms they're on. That's the, one of the P- six Ps. And that is uh, obviously takes some research, takes understanding the, the data that's out there, talking to in- industry experts, finding the best tips and techniques for how to leverage those platforms to reach uh, student audiences in those key markets. So that's for me. Uh, this is gonna be a webinar I'd, I'll be attending. I'll be in India at the time, so it'll be interesting to see what time of day I'll be catching that webinar. But uh, looking for looking for ways to, uh, to better connect with students that I'll be meeting uh, beyond just that initial uh, invite. Uh, I'm limiting the amount of, of paper that I'm carrying. It's uh, gonna be more through QR codes, RFIs that they're gonna be able to uh, get to. Uh, they'll have there's a one sheeter that they'll get uh, we also have a, a card that we give them that uh, features some of our new uh, video content that we have had developed through the college tour which we work on uh, we did had 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 a number of students interviewed last year when uh, the college tour came on campus did the interviews did their professional video clips and then we have them all broken down into twenty or two to three minute clips for each student so a number of them, about six or seven of the students are international so we have some of that day, uh, that content that we want to share widely uh, with students that are interested in us and as a way to help have our students tell the story, have their peers tell uh, our prospective students how good we are and could be for them. So those are ways that I'll be using uh, WhatsApp and, and my in presence of um, in presence in India with WhatsApp and these other tools to send the links to these uh, students that they'll be able to use to uh, get a better understanding of what uh, student life will be like on, uh, in terms of uh, what life at UNLV is like. So that's my example of what I'll be doing. Uh, we're in the process of looking at ways that we can uh, go down the, the road of getting a verified WeChat account, looking at getting a, um, a website in uh, that's locally hosted in China, that will, again, help us with search results uh, with our content specific for the Chinese market. Uh, we're developing uh, student ambassadors, that we'll, one of which will, will be Chinese-speaking, that can do regular content on WeChat for us uh, as we look to expand our reach into that market. So uh, there's a whole lot of different levers we're going to try and pull to better our, our interactions with our prospective audiences. Before, uh, at the beginning of that enrollment process, uh, recruitment process, but also throughout uh, their application and admissions and eventual arrival on campus. So that's, uh, these are added tools that should be part of everybody's, uh, every institution's uh, arsenal as, as they go about searching to bring students from abroad to their campuses. So we'll talk, uh, talk more about that as we always do at, at different points throughout the year. Uh, in terms of our second question of the day, are you tracking your international alumni, and how important is this? Um, I would say, and I, I had a post that went out this morning about this. I've had, already had a number of people com- uh, commenting about is the the lost opportunity uh, that in international education probably the most the single biggest one we have in terms of. Um, showing the proof of our, our efforts, really. Um, we all s- uh, seek and want our international students that come in, any student that comes to our campuses, whether whoever they f- are, first gen, international, uh, adult, re, uh, adult returning students, whatever it might be, online students, we all want them to become right, successful in what they do, successful alumni of our institution. But for our international students, these are probably, for international educators, these are the ones that are probably the easiest, most easily forgotten in, uh, when it comes to connecting them, again, throughout the process uh, of the recruitment uh, of what we do in international education. Uh, there, Karen Fisher, uh, you all know from the Chronicle of Higher Ed, she has her um, month, uh, weekly newsletter comes out on Wednesdays, uh, that uh, last week focused on international alumni and how they are an area, growing area of um, focus for uh, institutions around the country. But for the greater majority that I've worked at over the years, I think I've been, I've been on six campuses in the United States. Uh, in international student services and student recruitment and only one of those did we have an international alumni person uh, that was specifically responsible for managing our overseas alumni, uh, connecting them with events and doing things for them, keeping in contact with them. That uh, this was back in mid mid '90s before there was really, uh, really uh, the social LinkedIn wasn't really a big thing like it is today in terms of a way to track international graduates. But there are the article uh, that uh, Karen shared last week or her piece on it shared examples of how uh, there are internet there are alumni offices around the country that uh, don't track international alumni because they are their systems, their CRMs that they ru- have to manage their contacts don't have fields that allow for international addresses. Something as simple as that prevents some inter- some alumni offices on colleges around the US from even thinking about c- c- keeping or going after international alumni. And how silly is that? I mean, to not just because your CRM doesn't have the fields to capture international alums, get a new CRM. When you see the value of what international alumni can bring to a campus. Uh, there's, there are some, are, are some cultural things involved here because most universities outside the United States, that there's not a real history uh, of uh, what we call alumni development uh, advancements, uh, which is fundraising, basically, for lack of a better word, that a connection with an institution isn't as strong and isn't as organized from a university perspective. Students obviously have pride in their institutions hopefully, and are, uh, but they're not, they're not giving back philanthropically in large scales internationally because that's not to their institutions within their own countries. So that's really not a thing, but uh, there is uh, such potential there and it doesn't all have to be for advancement and obviously the alumni and advancement people will say yeah it does, that's why we exist. Uh, Well you exist to help your alumni stay connected with their institutions and one of the ways, one of the many ways that you can do that, you obviously send news about what's going on campus and uh, provide them uh, different opportunities to re-engage with events that are happening on campus if they come for reunions and that type of thing, but one of the ways you can keep international alumni engage is if you have um, a way for them to show off a little bit and show their success uh, and share why they came and why they have become successful in their chosen pursuits. Uh, And this is something that that I think we, we really miss opportunities to keep that circle going All right, Uh, because it is a a full life cycle. We bring students in as from initial prospects to admitted, applied and admitted students to eventually matriculating on our campuses, arriving, going through orientation, going through the first year of getting settled, getting an apartment, getting uh, settled in the residence halls, whatever it might be. Getting a job on campus, uh, developing their, their skills to prepare them for their career in their academics, and also through career services offices, and eventually to prepare for becoming an alumni and getting that first job out of college, whatever or going on to further graduate education, whatever it might be. There, it's a, it is a student life cycle, but oftentimes the alumni, and especially today, when uh, the issues of uh, what how, what what are some of the most convincing pieces to why a student chooses a particular institution. It's, uh, they're, they're, they're convinced that the ROI of, that, of the money they're going to spend on their degree is worth it because of the outcomes that they see from, insti- from that institution, from graduates of that institution, famous alumni, whatever it is, that international alumni piece can be a part of that. Particularly for international students, there may be thousands of, uh, of U.S. citizens or, or permanent residents have come to camp, your campus and gone on to good things and maybe you know who they are. Hopefully you have a few of those anecdotal stories you can roll into that. But do you have any of those for international, international graduates that are uh, successful or have uh, U.S. grads who have gone overseas and become uh, successful in their chosen pursuits? Are you capturing those moments and using those anecdotal stories to share with your future students? Because parents and students want to know from their peers, um, people who are students now or recent grads, what their degree can lead to, if uh, if they're uh, from your campus. So, do you have any of those anecdotal stories? Better yet, do you have any data of international graduates and success rates in jobs and where they've gotten placements over the last year or two? You'll pre- you'll have that globally for uh, for your students, all graduates. You might have a list of. Uh, top employers, that type of thing, everybody has those. But to have one that's specific to international students, and when you can drill down to, to that level, because we all know there are more hoops that international students need to jump through to even get a job after they graduate uh, than what you might face if you're a U.S. citizen. So you have to have, ideally, to document your ROI in data uh, and for international students, not just your global uh, or all your graduates, and you have to have, ideally, some anecdotal stories, the either video testimonials, uh, website pl- uh, websites where their profiles are, are are put, where you can potentially reach out to them. Those are the kind of things that will really enhance what you do on the front end, your recruitment. So uh, you make your institutions uh, more um, realistic and uh, a. a, a more attractive uh, to uh, an international student that uh, has some doubts and maybe doesn't know why they should choose your school over the, over your, your competitor. But if you can show those fruits of, of going to your campus, becoming a successful alumni, uh, having a career in their f- chosen field, that is a direct path from your institution. Great. You sh- that those are absolutely the kinds of people you should be building into your promotional materials, into your com flow, into uh, the outcomes piece that you should be promoting uh, the the success that your graduates have in getting that first job and becoming successful in whatever their chosen pursuits are. These are the kinds of things that uh, are really vital to talking through uh, making international alumni an important part of your, uh, your your how you recruit for your institution because they're your best. We talk about are, are your students being, uh, your international students, if you're recruiting internationally, they're your best advocates because they're living the experience of the prospective students. But a close second to that are, and in parent size probably, are gonna be the ones that are more important because they've gone through it. They've gotten that first job. They've built a successful career. Whatever it might be, those are the kind of end results that really will speak to not only that peer, thi- peer, peer thing that matters most to prospective students, but that outcomes piece, that, uh, uh, the professional piece that parents want to know about. So how are you building that in? Most schools aren't doing a good job of that. But I, I must give a special shout out to Carla uh, McCollum. Uh, she is uh, one of, when I joined Education USA back in 2008, uh, she was one of the first uh, people that I met um, at, and she was uh, she was at a community college in Missouri. Uh, she was very new to international education didn't re- didn't really know much of anything and she'll admit that freely uh, but she's now uh, she's she's been uh, international at community colleges in both Missouri and in Iowa she's been chair of study Missouri and chair of study Iowa and now she's uh, working in the alum- alumni office as an international rep for Iowa State University. So she's moved on into a realm that is, I think she's perfect for. She has this great personality and she's really fantastic at uh, at her job. And she's, but she she's, she's come in the last 15 years from knowing nothing to being a, now a leader in international alumni development. And that is um, that is something I'm so, so happy for her. And I'm, so I'm gonna be picking her brain about some of her experiences within Iowa State. But those are the kinds of um, and institutions that make that commitment that hey we, we we could be doing much more with our international alumni and this uh, uh, in engaging them in what you do and tracking them first and then eventually engaging them in what you do on the front end of your student recruitment and because they can feed each other uh, and they'll want to give back to their, their, their and help future students like themselves because they'll remember that they were probably walking into, into their institution when they were making their decision they didn't know what was going to happen necessarily, or knew anybody that might have been uh, pointed them directed to them as, hey, you can be that person in, in five years, or you can you can have a career like this person does from our country, and those are the things that really add that layer of value and connection uh, for international students to know that they, hey, there's someone like me who came to this school and has now gone on to do great things, though, and when you connect those dots, all oh, the the possibilities just expand. Uh, Almost exponentially in terms of what you can really do when you are connecting that whole life cycle of students together, uh, from alumni to prospective students back, not just uh, student graduating those successful alumni, but in- involving them in the recruitment of your future students. There's just so many uh, layers of uh, of, uh, of possibilities uh, that you can build on once you once you begin tracking them, and that's that's the key for this this second question here. Now, this third question is one of the harder ones uh, that we talk about here um, on the Roundup, and that has to do with students who come and then disappear. And I'm not saying they've disappeared off the planet, they've died or been kidnapped, or any of those kind of things. I'm not painting that kind of worst-case scenario. Um, this comes to me today as a result of um, a story in on Sky News in the UK about uh, an Indian student who'd come uh, to begin a ma- master's degree in, I think, it was computer science, and only he only studied for a month, and then he disappeared off campus. Uh, didn't attend class. He basically uh, went underground. As the, and the article that and the video that uh, is shot with him talks about. And uh, the, the, the title of the article is "I had no idea how life would be." Inside the lives of those who overstay their visas and go underground, and this is particularly painting the picture in the UK with net migration levels at UK record levels, that the government really has admitted they don't have public data on this group of students that overstay visas or start start the programs, then disappear, uh, they are then uh, fail to return to their home countries. Uh, it was it's really a, a very sad state of affairs, but. This particular student, he had done his bachelor's in India, came to the UK for a master's degree, uh, and that uh, he is now relying on cash-in-hand jobs to survive. And that uh, in the US, uh, uh, there's the stereotype of, uh, if you w- if you want some workers to work on a project, you go to Home Depot and you can hire, hire folks there that uh, don't have the right to work necessarily, that are probably undocumented, that uh, just are living Day to day, for when doing these uh, pickup jobs, uh, so they can feed their families and pay for rent or whatever it might be. That's the kind of equivalent here in in the UK. They what they call uh, cash in hand jobs. That uh, that uh, he's not working for a paycheck. He's working for does jobs for pocket money and uh, cleaning work, construction work, whatever it might be. So uh, this student, uh, he. He says his politics got him in trouble back home in India and that he paid an agency $7,000, 7,000 pounds to arrange a university place for him in England. And the student had come and had a valid visa back in 2021 uh, when he came, started the month of the master's in business management, not computers, uh, somewhere in the north of England, uh, that he found it too hard. Uh, The college where he had the place said that uh, didn't couldn't comment on him because they don't comment on individual cases for privacy reasons. So he, uh, he, he talks through his, uh, that his systems had, uh, that, uh, that uh, he, 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 he couldn't survive, he just wanted to get out of India really, and that's why he left. Now, I, I, just before I came on live for, for this chat, Having a conversation with the two colleagues we're in the middle of submitting a session proposal uh, to um, for NAFsa next year in in um, New Orleans right yeah so we're getting our session proposal done and we're just sharing stories about what's happening on campus and in particular, she, uh, one of our, both of them, both of the other folks I was um, um, submitting this session proposal we're talking about transfer outs and how that's is kind of, not quite, but it's the equivalent of the students that come in and then disappear. Uh, they transfer out uh, from, they come in legally through SEVIS on your visa uh, into the United States. They're, they're in the SEVIS as your student, and then they come in and request, sometimes without even coming to campus, they get in the country and say, I wanna transfer out before they enroll. Uh, to a different institution and oftentimes there are some legit ones out there but oftentimes it's I want to transfer out uh, to a school that is lesser quality, uh, to a school that uh, they came in and were on for a master's program and then they want to transfer out to an English language program. An English language program that they don't need because they've already met the English requirements for your institution when they were admitted to your master's program. So a lot of that, there's a lot of that out there in terms of transfer outs. Back in the day, this was uh, at, well. This was also seen as uh, uh, those institutions that had a lot of transfer outs. I, I started at an institution uh, a few years ago that had uh, had had a significant transfer out problem uh, before I arrived, and where there there was they were literally admitting 500 students. 300 show up and then 150 of them transfer out before the classes even begin. They come into the country on our visa, but they would transfer out and that raised flags with SEVP and they were called in and then We've got a transfer out problem. We need to deal with this and we we took steps to do that. Uh, Some institutions institute uh, payments to transfer a student out as a way to recover some costs uh, because it's obviously a lot of lost work uh, for admitting that student giving them their giving them their paperwork for a visa getting bringing them into campus and then they all of a sudden want to transfer to a, a lesser school or a school that they clearly have no intention of going to because uh, yeah. anyway that they want their intent to really is to disappear there were the case uh, a couple of years ago for all the coll- all literally all the colleges in Washington state were called in by SCVP to a, to a uh, virtual meeting to talk about the, this problem of students transferring out. Uh, And it was from, in particular at the time, it was for students from Bangladesh who were coming on into Washington State on to the different colleges on uh, valid visas, but then would transfer out or not show up, and be no-shows, but had entered the country. Uh, They would disappear into the woodwork. Uh, Many of uh, of these, uh, they are kind of termed economic migrants. Uh, because, in terms of what their end goal is, they come in and the students, that just as any way, like this British student, or student who went to the UK from India, come into a country just to get away from what, whatever was happening back home. Uh, it might have been politics that drove this one student. Many students that are trying to just get away f- out from home are trying to find access to a country where they know they can do more than they could ever do in their home country. Some of them uh, obviously do want to come for education, legitimately, and do end up getting degrees and do wonderful things. But um, what what we're talking about here with these students that are coming in and then disappear, uh, the reality is uh, they 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 go underground, like this student in the UK did. Uh, they are uh, they're they're. they're more than likely coming in to, co- to communities where there's already an existing network of people from their country who live there and have maybe done the similar thing or have migrated legally to the United States to do that, uh, and them coming in and then disappearing, not enrolling in universities, not enrolling in colleges. That Can have long-term significant consequences for your institution with Homeland Security. There's a whole lot of issues that can get you in trouble with Homeland Security, and this is this is certainly one of those. And students, institutions have gotten in trouble. The individual students, unless they do something wrong or get on the radar of uh, government officials, uh, they can literally disappear into the woodwork. We're a pretty big country. Uh, If they keep a low profile working like the student in the UK did, um, cash in hand jobs, uh, that's that's a real challenge for us. But we look at particularly this transfer out issue that we face in the United States. We saw stories earlier this year of Australian universities complaining that students were transferring out after a semester. Uh, We would love uh, to not well, for international students not be allowed to to leave on a transfer out until after they've been enrolled and paid their fees for a semester. So we can at least get some of that back, but that, that's not, there are, there are folks in our business who will say, oh, they can go wherever they want, that's, that's their legal right to do so. And it's a loophole that exists in the law that uh, does allow them to transfer out. And as long as that rules the, what it is, uh, we can put in fees on our own, some call that uh, uh, tomorrow to do that, uh, some uh, would say absolutely we should do that. So there's there's a debate out there, but what can you do about it? Uh, certainly that is something that re- uh, takes, and you, you see trends over the, uh, as things develop over, over a period of time. You'll see trends if they're coming from particular countries, if they're coming from particular agents in particular countries that you do business in then that's uh, give you evidence that you need to then cut off that uh, pipeline because there's nothing worse than going through a full enrollment cycle uh, for an enrollment manager. There's nothing worse than working with a student all the way through an enrollment ca- cycle and having groups of students from particular agencies coming and then disappearing after they get there. The agencies don't get paid, um, probably because the students have paid them enough on the front end where they're, they're breaking even or getting, getting ahead, uh, but those are the things that uh, we need we need to stay on top of these things and have an idea of uh, and understand uh, if this is happening in certain places more than others then we need to look at the whys and, and, and the where's of where they're coming from and, and get to a policy point in your office where you can say okay we need to change tack in this country or with this agency or cut them off and uh, look at other ways if we're going to be able to recruit successfully in certain countries. Some institutions will completely blacklist, not, not officially, but they, they'll say, okay, we're not going to work with anybody in this country and agents, uh, any students that come to us from this country we're going to require to go through Education USA, for example, and to kind of weed them out if they're to get to the real serious students because that's who you want on your campus. You don't want the students to come who are going to disappear. You don't want to facilitate that, right? So that's, I think, what uh, what we all struggle with day to day when we do, particularly this time of year when it's uh, or- new student arrival and orientation weeks and around the U.S. Uh, it becomes a hot topic every year uh, about this time. So for those on campus, I uh, wish you well in dealing with this. Uh, it's uh, certainly a challenge uh, and one that we want to minimize as much as possible. So wish you all the best in, in, your, in your pursuits, and thanks for those of you who are able to watch live, and uh, we'll certainly... Uh, get in touch and uh, keep the conversation going on topics that we uh, talk about each week. So until next week, uh, where I'll be in India, so I'll be connecting with you uh, on a live uh, probably from IC3, yes. I'll be attending the IC3 conference in Hyderabad next week. So um, do a out for our midweek roundup coming live from Hyderabad next Wednesday. Until then, I wish you all the best. Have a great day.